Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Suddenly the north sky, the sky was split in two, and high above the forest the whole northern part of the sky appeared covered with fire. At that moment there was a bang in the sky and a mighty crash. The crash was followed by a noise like stones falling from the sky, or of guns firing. The earth trembled. And that was a quotation that comes to us via a researcher named Leonid Kulik, who heard this account at the Venara Trading Post in Russia. Uh, the account was read by our special guest on the show today, uh, the one, the only, Mr. Joe McCormick, who you may recognize from Forward Thinking. Hello, Joe. Hi, everybody. It's an honor to be on a show of ill repute such as this. Why, thank you. <laughs> My name is Matt. And I'm Ben. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. And today we are discussing something extremely cool, something explosive and fiery and dangerous and deadly. Well, fortunately, as far as we know, not deadly for any humans. Yes, but there were probably several animals injured in the making of this event. Oh, I'd say no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the Tunguska event. Uh, a while back, 
Mr. Ben Bolin came up to me and he asked if I'd like to be a guest host on Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. And I said, only if we can talk about the Tunguska event. Mm -hmm. That was uh, one of many of the conditions that came attached to this appearance. Yeah, that was a lot of paperwork. Yeah, we're glad we could make it all happen. (laughs) But uh, this is such a fascinating topic because we know we know the facts. And for decades afterwards, people were not sure what actually happened. But as we go through the episode today, uh, Matt, Joe, and I are going to illuminate the events a little bit by talking about what we know in the beginning, the various theories that were proposed, and uh, what we believe nowadays actually happened. So this is not one of those podcasts where you'll walk away with way more questions than answers. We have the answer, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we have the answer. And as uh, the Mad Hatter said to Alice, we'll start at the beginning and go through the middle and then we'll stop at the end. Sound good? That's great. So yeah. let's start at what exactly was the Tunguska event? Well, we should start by saying what Tunguska is. Okay. That's mm-hmm. not a word that pops up every day. You're right. For us. Well, maybe if you're one of us three, but right. not for most people. Okay, so the Tunguska, or the Podkamenaya Tunguska, if I'm saying that correctly, um, is a region in Russia. It's actually a region in Siberia. I believe in Siberia proper. So a lot mm-hmm. of people will say basically anything east of the Ural Mountains is Siberia. Not all Siberia. There's actually a part of Russia that is officially Siberia, and this includes the Tunguska region. Right. Spot on. The Podkaminaya, which I am probably mispronouncing, uh, is also a river that flows westward about 976 miles or for everyone outside of the United States and maybe two other countries, uh, 1,571 kilometers to a place called the Yenisev River, um, the name of this river uh, means Tunguska under the pebbles. There are a couple of different Tunguskas, and they're tributaries of the Yenisev. Um, and it's called under the pebbles, interestingly enough, because it flows under these pebble fields. So it's not a an open river for the entirety of its run. Yeah, and so in this region you have some, you have a lot of forest. You also mm-hmm. have uh, peat bogs and swamps. And so there's a lot of great wilderness out there. Fortunately, not that much civilization. Yeah, <laughs> that is fortunate. It is not exactly New York City. Um, as as you may have heard about Siberia, it's a pretty isolated place, right, Matt? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult place for humans to live. There are a lot. The only humans that really live out there are uh, these uh, semi-nomadic herders and trappers that survive off the land, and they're few and far between. They're, what are they called, the Evenki? Uh, yes. Uh, we should also do a disclaimer that uh, of none of the three of us, to our knowledge, are Russian. And, uh, Noel, I don't believe you're... Okay, Noel is also uh, not a native Russian speaker. Um, but what we do know, uh, aside from mispronouncing a few things here and there, uh, we do know that in this isolated part of the world, something very strange happened a little after 7 a.m. on June 30th in 1908. Uh, you heard the quotation, right? A massive explosion. 
the way a lot of people at the time seem to have described it, and and as far as we know, there was nobody at ground zero of mm-hmm. this. There Ooh. there were people who were quite far away, but still felt the effects imminently. Uh, so people described it as seeing a, a vast light in the sky, burning particles, a sky full of fire, a second sun, mm-hmm. uh, th- these terrifying apocalyptic visions, and then feeling things like searing heat coming from the air and then uh, shockwave blasts as if uh, described like cannon fire. Mm-hmm. And we also know that uh, people from as far as 40 miles away reported some stuff about this blast. So there's no argument here. Something definitely happened. It wasn't just a oh, bunch, yeah. a bunch yeah, of really Nobody's people. denying that. It's <laughs> not like, uh, no, 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 nothing to see here. Right. Because well, it even burned people within 13 miles of yeah. where it happened. And there were animals that were burned. Mm-hmm. So there are obvious effects that you could feel and see. Yeah, there's some real end-of-the-world stuff there. Uh, but as we know, as we said at the top, uh, years passed and people weren't sure what occurred, and in the absence of that, uh, no one was able to say what happened, so people started saying what they thought happened or believed had occurred. Well, yeah, sure, something huge happens like this, and, you know, you go to what you know or what you believe, right? That's kind of what humans do. Something, if you don't understand it, it's just, you go to your innermost beliefs. Sure, I mean, if something like this were to have happened, say, uh, 50 years later, you can mm-hmm. bet, I think, that ufology would immediately come into play. I'd mm-hmm. say that wasn't such a big thing back in 1908. I mean, th- there were vague kind of ideas of otherworldly visitations, but um, mm-hmm. they, they didn't have the science fiction vision of flying saucers with energy weapons like we do today. Yeah, or uh, perhaps a nuclear strike. Uh, mm-hmm. Something with that, something that looks like a second sun burning in the air. Yeah. One might say that again today, but back then, I mean, they had no reference point for that. They didn't have nuclear weapons. Exactly. Yet. Right. That we know of. All right. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so that's a really interesting point, though. So if we talk about some of the things that people did believe, we will see that some of these ideas came into play um, decades after the fact, and, and one of those being the idea of extraterrestrials. So you'll, you'll see claims that some sort of extraterrestrial force either accidentally or purposefully triggered this explosion, um, or that evidence of this craft or this weapon or whatever, oh, that's the most important part, that it was something made by an intelligence. Right. That it was not just from space, but purposefully crafted and then sent here. Um, and then you can also yeah. see that when people started speculating that perhaps this was te- Tesla technology. Right, yeah. So I've seen this claim just uh, pretty low profile, it seems mm-hmm. to me, but around mm-hmm. the web in various places, people speculating, well, I wonder if the Tunguska event, the giant fire in the sky that was seen there, was Nikola Tesla, the famed somewhat m- maybe mad inventor, testing his so-called death ray. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, Tesla tried to disown the term death ray. He wasn't interested in that, and and he tried to distance himself from it. But he did, for many years, advertise that he was trying to create a a particle beam that would be used as a weapon that could end all wars, basically, that it would be able to repel from a great distance any infantry invasion or airplane attack, 
that it would be a, a devastating weapon that would provide insurmountable defense to every country that possessed it. Right, which uh, I, I think is an interesting argument for deterrence, right? And we see it happening now. The, the logic of having a nuclear arsenal is similar to the logic he had with his particle but beam. But really what he's talking about, uh, Tesla, is just mutually assured destruction. Uh, well, it could be interpreted that way. I actually did a podcast with Jonathan Strickland on tech stuff about this. I'm not mm-hmm. usually a host of tech stuff, but I guested with him about uh, technologies that were believed at some point might end all wars, world <laughs> peace tech. Yeah. Uh, it turns out none of those have ever worked. Oh. Uh, but So one way of looking at weapons to end wars is this idea of mutually assured destruction. Everybody has weapons so powerful that it's in nobody's interest to start a war mm-hmm. because the retaliation would be devastating to you. The other idea is a uh, prohibitive defensive weapon. And Ooh. I sometimes get the impression that's what Tesla is thinking about. Okay. That he's thinking about, well, it's not necessarily so much that it would be a devastating retaliatory attack, but just sure. that you could repel anything coming into your border. It would be almost kind of like a Tesla kind of steampunk version of the Iron Dome system yep. that okay. Israel employs uh, supposedly to shoot down incoming rockets. Not uh, not entirely effective, of course. But then also, uh, if we take it global, it could be compared to the Star Wars program if That's that right. program worked. Yeah. Um, spoiler alerts, left and right, everybody. Uh, but we do know that Tesla was involved in some uh, innovative tech and also in these uh in these experiments that have given rise to so much speculation, one, of course, being Wardenclyffe Tower. Right. And uh, Wardenclyffe Tower, if we look at the timeline here, uh, the Tunguska uh, event occurred in 1908. Uh, Wardenclyffe Tower was shut down in 1905. It wasn't dismantled until 1917. So um, the timelines here don't seem to work out. But, of course... Um, if he's talking about the particle beam instead, then we don't really know, but we, we, uh, have more compelling evidence that says he didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. I am not even convinced it's likely that Tesla ever really had a particle beam. Look, I'm just going to say if he did have a particle beam and I don't know if he did. (laughs) That would be the perfect place to test it. Well, in the middle of nowhere. Right. If you assume that he was a relatively humane guy, he'd want to be, it would be like the nuclear tests in the desert. You'd want to do them somewhere where nobody was living. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point because what if there were some sort of group that had technology, uh, here on my notes, I had streets of head, streets ahead because I was watching community earlier and I used that phrase <laughs> ad nauseum, but I don't know what that means. It's, oh man. I'll tell you later. <laughs> okay. It's just a lame way of trying to say something's cool. Uh, so this idea that there would be some sort of suppressed technology that was being tested, not necessarily tied to Tesla. That's, that's another popular idea. Um, again, it's an idea that as far as we know, does not have any tangible proof at this time. Uh, and then of course, if we want to get weird with it, there is the idea of an extremely small black hole. I haven't read a lot about this, but from what I have looked at, it doesn't seem very likely. The idea is basically that a black hole shot through the Earth. Mm -hmm. So we had a wandering tiny black hole 
that was just, uh, I don't know, <laughs> floating <laughs> through space. And at some point it entered Earth's atmosphere, smashed through Earth and exited out the other side, I believe. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, seems no. fairly ridiculous on its face. Seems like there would be more destruction if something like that were to happen. I don't know. Well, and, I think the idea is that there would be more evidence of it. Right? Like right. we'd see uh, it would have had more effects at both ends mm-hmm. of the earth. Right? There would have been an exit wound. Yeah. Honestly, we have no idea what would happen. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. If, yeah. if a black hole interacted I mean, I'm with sure. Earth. Yeah. I'm, somebody could probably run some kind of simulation <laughs> of it. but As long as they don't do it for real. Uh, uh, I think also the idea of these wandering black holes all around the earth, that, that that's basically sci-fi. We, we yeah. have no reason to think there's anything like that near the earth or in the solar system. Yeah. Just don't go near the center of the galaxy. That's all. Right. Because the question would be, how could it, um, in 1908, maybe not, but in 2014, there would be ways to find evidence of those things if they existed this close to us. Yeah. Um, there's another idea here that as uh, an armchair folklorist, I found fascinating. And uh, it is the original local explanation for the Tunguska event that depends on neither extraterrestrials nor mad science. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about gods here, everybody. This is exciting. There's no reason that the only mythology we should take seriously is technological mythology. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'd say let's talk about the gods on even footing with uh, with it. Tesla and black holes and, and aliens. Okay, so what is the idea? What did the locals or at least the locals who believed in this believe happened at the Tunguska event. Oh, yeah. Well, they uh, they placed the blame of this on a god named Ogji, which, again, I'm probably mispronouncing, Ogji being a thunder god uh, whom they believed was summoned uh, and in a visitation to the area cursed it. Uh, there's an interesting uh, shamanic chant that comes to us translated via Dieter Hoffman, a professor of Siberian ethnography at Hamburg University. Um, the shaman is Vasily Zankul, and uh, this has a bit of, um, it's kind of an invocation to Ogdi. Uh, do you guys want to read it? Are you ready? Oh, I don't know. I don't, are you ready, listener? Because it's about to get epic in here. All right. The god comes. The god comes. The earth trembles in fear at the coming of Ogdi. The earth rises and falls beneath my feet like waves of water. My place of purification is overthrown, my lodge poles toppling. The god comes, the god calls out. Blinding bright, his tongue lashes the sky. His roar booms off the hills, the heavens ring with it. Ogdi is calling his avatar from the lower world. The earth at my feet tears open at the touch of his fiery tongue. The god calls out. Heeding the god's call, the avatar arises, Nightwalker, spawn of darkness, beast of evil heart. From the lower world he arises, insatiable, all-devouring, as wild dogs tearing at entrails of their kill. Heeding the god's call, the avatar arises. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, 
but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Man, I really like that. Uh, that's, that is awesome apocalyptic poetry. Seriously, I wish 
I really wish we had more of that kind of imagery, just uh, colorful imagery in our mythology. I got nothing like that here. I mean, there are some pretty there there's some pretty heavily. I guess the right word would be epic or metal. There's some pretty metal parts of most religions. Oh, yeah. I'm just what I would say is that believing stuff like, oh, it was aliens or, oh, Tesla was testing his death ray has no poetry like that. (laughs) It's so quotidian. Yeah. So, you know, that's a that's a good point. Um, And also, I like the idea that what we're looking at when we see these three different explanations uh, is a Various groups of people are attempting to explain an inex- inexplicable event through the lens of the way they see the world, right? Yeah. Through a framework. It also helped to place the enormous loss of life and property in perspective. So they thought some shaman had foolishly uh, called on Ogdi, and that was the root of the problem. Now, they didn't really talk about this for a while, though, Um we didn't really have an investigation, certainly not in 1908, right? No, but years later, we finally did. Yes, and we will get to that in just a moment, I promise. But first, uh, let's look at something slightly different. We are sponsored today by Audible.com. They're a place you can go and get your books, your reading material, through your ears instead what? of through your eyes. Yeah. Whoa, this sounds like some crazy science fiction talk to me, man. It is, but it's also very much real. Audible has over a 100,000 titles to choose from, and you can read it on a phone, on your desktop, uh, on your laptop. Do people still have desktops, or are we just old? I have two desktops, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, and yes, I am old. And here's the deal, too. If you go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash stuff they don't want you to know, that's us, uh, then you can get a free audiobook download of your choice uh, and a free 30-day trial membership. It's pretty awesome, and we actually have a suggestion for you. Go and check out Dead Mountain, the untold true story of the Dyatlov Pass incident. You've probably heard of that before. You've watched our video on it. Uh, this is really great. It's by Donnie Icar. I think you're going to like it. It just goes into the the minutiae that maybe you didn't hear from us on our overview, on our video. Yeah, and if you haven't heard of the Dyatlov Pass incident, uh, it also occurred in Russia, like the Tunguska event, and people still aren't sure what happened that day in 1959. Yes, but we may be getting a better viewpoint. Mm Mm-hmm. So head on over to audiblepodcast.com slash stuff they don't want you to know and check it out. Get your free audiobook download and also let us know if there are any books you think we should tell people about that you like. All right. So let's get back to the show now. Uh, okay. So I guess it's time to talk about what really happened in 1908. What was the Tunguska event? We know it was an explosion, fire, heat, thunder, shockwaves from the sky. What was it in reality? Okay, so it seems like the first scientific expedition to the area uh, happened in 1921 when Leonid Kulik hit the scene uh, and he was looking for a crater because the basic idea in mainstream science was this was a meteor. Hmm. It was a it was a rock from space that descended descended into the atmosphere and hit the ground somewhere and blew up so with massive impact event uh and there might have been then, there, there definitely still to some degree is today, debate about what the nature of this object from space was. Was it an asteroid, a mm-hmm. largely rocky body, or was it a comet, like a ball of ice and dust? 
Uh, but the main idea is something from space came into the atmosphere, blew up. So he wanted to go find where it hit. And it turns out uh, when he actually did get to find it, because I believe there were multiple expeditions before right. he actually found it. Yeah. Uh, so once he got to the area, it was not hard to find Ground Zero yeah. because there were about uh, more than 800 square miles, about 2,000 square kilometers of trees that were affected by this explosion, basically in a bullseye shape. So when you entered the area from the outer circle, the forest turned into a landscape of flattened trees. Mm-hmm. Trees knocked flat against the ground all outward in the same direction going out from the middle. Obviously, it would be pretty easy to know what direction you need to go. Mm-hmm. That so, would be amazing. I would just want to say to walk through that. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. that would be cool. Yeah. And so it followed 800 square miles. I mean, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah and as fun. as you said, that's that's the rough estimates. It's more than that. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I think it was more. It was like yeah. eight hundred and twenty or eight hundred and forty mm-hmm. square miles. Uh, but so they they proceeded inward and found toward the center of the bullseye scorched tree trunk standing straight up with no branches, just stripped branches gone, like charred telephone poles. Mm-hmm. I mean, what on earth? But how <laughs> interesting that they weren't knocked over. The way the ones on the outside. Ah, uh, yes. Right? But the branches are one of the biggest pieces of evidence, too, because that only occurred, um, that wouldn't occur again that we have documentation of until Hiroshima. Um, when. Oh, really? Yeah, because of the, the speed and the pressure knocked the branches off, uh, before it could translate that to the trunk. So the, it's like getting hit so hard that your arms fall off before you feel it in your chest. Yeah. So if you think about this, though, what it suggests is not an impact on the ground. Right. Yeah. But an explosion from above. And here's where we get to what has become the accepted theory of the Tunguska event uh, in the years since. Scientists today are pretty much all in agreement that what happened there Something entered the atmosphere from space, mm. and it blew up before it hit the ground. Uh, it just heated to the point that it completely exploded, and then the downward shock wave stripped and scorched the trees below it. As the shock wave spread out, it was it would turn horizontal in its direction and knock down the trees for those hundreds of miles. Mm. And the the questions uh, that this leaves us with are things like, what would have happened? If it had actually hit the ground, uh, NASA has some pretty interesting information on this. And, and the current theory is that this was, uh, this rock was about 120 feet across and that it was traveling at a speed in excess of 33,000 miles per hour, about 33.5,000 and, uh, <laughs> that it weighed 220 million pounds. Now, these are all estimates, of course, based on uh, based on the best forensic data they can pull. But, uh, still, even if it, that is just in the area of, of the correct numbers, that, that is frightening. The, yeah. the craziest number was the next one, the idea that it heated the surrounding air to 44,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. 
I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About $6 million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. 
This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's very common for things entering the atmosphere to burn up upon entry. Mm-hmm. You've heard about this before. And mm. uh, it's often believed that the reason is friction, right? But that's actually, uh, I recently found out that's not true, that it's uh, it has to do with compression heating. So it's traveling so fast against the uh, the thick air of our atmosphere that it's smashing the air in front of it uh, so fast the air heats up to these incredible temperatures and the thing catches on fire and the outside surfaces of it get melted. And sometimes if it gets hot enough and if it's composed in the right way and all the conditions are just right, it'll just explode. See, that's why when I reenter Earth's atmosphere, I go slow. It's the long con. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I get down here safely, but it takes a month. Easy. I really want to see schematics and diagrams of how you do that, Ben. Uh, well, you know, they say if they're going to build a space elevator, one thing that's going to be disappointing about it is it's going to take you, at the very least, days to get to space. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, because you can't go fast up and down this yeah. thing. It's kind and of... Th- th- yeah. I think that's actually, that's technological limitation at this point, but mm-hmm. it seems like you might not want to go yeah. fast up and down. There are probably areas where you can speed up a little bit, and then you'll have to slow down again and then speed up again. I mean, if we're still talking human enterprise, there'll be traffic jams, people's uh, space elevator pods will break down. It'll be really tough to go fast, to go quickly, even when you have the technology but you know maybe we shouldn't it reminds me a little bit of uh do you guys remember dune how they had the uh the force fields for fighting and you couldn't uh the force fields would stop a blunt you guys are both staring at me i'm sorry Uh, i've never read dune oh okay sorry ah it's all right jeez somebody out there ladies and gentlemen you guys know (laughs) what i'm talking about but um going back to the object at hand yeah Yeah, really fast so this is fascinating also to me NASA believes that it exploded at a, at a height of 28,000 feet, mm-hmm. which, okay, so I'm just trying to understand this thing that weighs millions of pounds, at least according to NASA, explodes that high up in the sky, and it still is able to wreak such massive destruction on the ground. Yeah. That, yeah. to me, is terrifying, and it does make you think about nuclear weapons tests and other times nuclear weapons have been used and exploded in the sky. Yeah, well, as with many great natural explosions, science communicators often have to frame it in terms of how many atomic bombs or how mm-hmm. many hydrogen bombs. Uh, they did. I believe this. the same quote you got from NASA did that they said basically that the explosion of this object from space released the energy equivalent to, quote, 185 Hiroshima bombs. Which just boggles the mind. Uh, and again, that that further reinforces how astonishing it is. This is a point that uh, you made earlier, Joe, that no one died. As far as we know. As I mean, far some, as we know. Someone might have that we don't know about. But yeah. there's, there's no record that I could find that anyone, any mm-hmm. person was killed. I'm sure lots of animals were. Mm-hmm. So what what then uh what then do we we arrive at when the in the ongoing debate over what sort of space rock 
this is slash was. Well, there are arguments that it was a comet and there are arguments that it was an asteroid, a rocky meteorite. Uh, and there are arguments in, in both directions. I believe the favored hypothesis these days is that it was a rocky, uh, rocky meteor and an mm-hmm. asteroid type body based on fragments that have now been found and analyzed. Uh, by which, of course, we mean rocky as in composed of rock, not as in the original records that later became the Rocky franchise sent, <laughs> sent to us from space, <laughs> which I would be okay with, but, um, you know, I'd be surprised. Okay, so here's my question. I don't want to sound like a dum-dum over here, but... From what I, what I was looking at, there doesn't seem to be any kind of crater, right? We, at the center of the bullseye area, there are trees standing up. There's not an impact crater or anything. No. So, I just want to understand better why, why it was, why the thought is that it was a rocky crater or a rocky asteroid. Uh, from fragments, I mean, because the, it exploded and burned with such energy. I believe the thinking is that there there were no huge fragments left to leave a gigantic crater. I did read there there's one lake near the area that some people wonder, oh, I wonder if a very small fragment of the uh of the meteor uh impacted here, maybe it was just like a few feet wide impacting with high energy and created the crater that's now this lake, but I don't think that's very well established. It's just kind of a theory. That crater mm-hmm. lake doesn't hold water. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and there are fragments all over the place. Also, you, you could see what happened to this in dust that you can find all over the place. So, I mean, okay. It, this mass, a lot of it landed on the surface of the earth, but just not, 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 not in a piece big enough that you can usually tell. Nice. Uh, but yeah, they, they found, they found traces of whatever this thing was all over the place in the peat bogs mm-hmm. in the Tunguska area under it. There are samples of rocks that appear to be meteoric in origin. Um, and I, I believe I've also read that there were layers of, of cosmic dust, the kind of dust you would find after a large impact from space found in ice cores around the area dating back mm. to about the time. Okay. So nice. It, it seems Pretty straightforward that this was an object from space, maybe a comet, more likely a, a rocky meteor. Well, and, wait, so and are you are you saying it probably wasn't the gods? Probably wasn't the gods. Probably wasn't Tesla. Probably wasn't aliens or a black hole. But that makes it no less creepy because instead, what we walk away with is the idea that there are things out there in space that, with pretty regular frequency are going to come into our atmosphere and they're that big and they come in with that much speed and energy. And if something like the Tunguska event were to happen over, say, a major city, I mean, uh, that's game over. Yeah. yeah. And it could uh, it could easily, there's some geopolitical dangers there as well because depending upon which city it hits uh, and which countries they are allies or uh, rivals with, uh, then it could escalate immediately. Yeah, uh, I I would say we have much better ability now to predict impacts like sure. this. Like now we have NASA's Near Earth Object Program that that mm. tracks all of the objects within range of Earth that we well, that are large enough for us to detect. Yes, so I mean we're <laughs> we're somewhat better prepared than we were in 1908. But certainly. that's that's comparing, of course, uh, 
that's comparing a little bit better vision and no real protection to uh, no vision and no real protection. I mean, well, no, actually, we do have a, a very important line of defense. Bruce Willis is still alive. Oh, God. That's no, right. I knew you were going there. I keep forgetting. Um, okay. But well, once he passes on, we, we are truly naked to the fury of the universe. Of the uncaring, dark, inky void. But, um, but there's, there's some other things here because, uh, let's, let's explore this just a little bit. Uh, I can't remember who, uh, wrote this very strange theory that was entirely speculative about, um, maybe impact events being the most lethal threat to intelligent life on planets and said, hey, maybe the reason that we have never heard from some other uh, intelligent life out there in the vast chasms of time and space is because uh, no intelligent life can survive on a planet long enough to involve that kind of technology before something, uh, some impact event occurs and blows the house of cards down. Yeah, well, that, that's one of those many possible solutions to the so-called Fermi paradox. Right, The yeah. paradox of, okay, so if we can set up a kind of basic probability of guessing how many alien civilizations we'd expect to see out there, again, all the variables we plug into this are guesses. Right. So it, we're, there's really no way to know. But you say, well, there, there sure are a lot of stars and a lot of planets out there. Seems like there should be some life out there. We're listening, and it sounds like nobody's home. Yeah. There's nothing coming in. So either you've got to say, well, maybe a life evolving on on planets is fairly rare, Mm -hmm. or maybe there is a lot of life, but them becoming technologically intelligent is rare, or maybe there's some reason they don't want to transmit, or maybe there's Mm -hmm. some reason that the universe, or at least our galaxy, is not very kind to the life forms that do evolve. Right. And so the ones that do evolve, or at least have the potential to evolve, the technological capability to contact us are smashed by asteroids before they get the chance, and we're just pretty darn lucky to have made it this far. And, and we have to remember how long it takes for signals to reach yeah. vast distances. That's yeah. true. So perhaps there's somebody trying to communicate. It's just it hasn't gotten to We'll get same. it a billion yeah. years later. God, I feel so emo right now talking about that. <laughs> but but we also know that impact events themselves aren't the only threats. And, and we can, as, as you said, we can predict um, now more than ever we have uh, – okay prediction skills, um, but there are things that would happen so quickly that we couldn't stop them if we're talking about the end of the world. Right. So what if instead of traveling at like 30-something thousand miles per hour, your incoming event is traveling at the speed of light? When something's traveling towards you at the speed of light, you can't see it until it hits you. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks, Joe. Yeah. So, what might Just travel? My pants, Joe. <laughs> what what killer thing might travel toward the Earth at the speed of light? Maybe a, a gamma ray burst. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, the pop quiz—they won't turn us into the Hulk or uh, nope. She-Hulk or anything like that. They will simply end life as we know it, depending on the circumstances. Yeah. I feel like I don't need to tell your listeners this, but that's a thing that a lot of people get confused about in pop culture. Radiation doesn't give you superpowers. It just kills you. Right. Yeah. Uh, so far. Um, Matt, you okay? Uh-oh. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to be such no, a yeah, bummer. You know what? I'm okay. 
I'm okay. Because you know what? I survived the the massive CMEs that hit us a couple days ago. Uh, here we go. Uh, CME, what's that stand for? A coronal mass ejection, my friend. Happens when the sun has these fun little things that... It happens when the sun decides to throw up in our general direction uh, just a bunch of its energy and particles, charged particles, and they just fly towards the Earth. They don't always fly towards the Earth because you got to imagine the scale of the sun to the Earth. Yeah. It's pretty rare that the Earth gets hit by a massive CME. Okay. But, what are the dangers of that? If that happens? Oh, you know, it could just fry most of our electrical grid, uh, depending on where it hits. And when I say fry, I mean it could just take out the wiring that's going along your street mm-hmm. outside your house. It can just fry that stuff and uh, short circuit anything that uses, you know, like this computer that Joe's using, just fry all the circuits in there can make even make your car not work sometimes depending on how your car functions i mean my car does a pretty good job of not working now so (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but those things are pretty creepy and we got hit by two x-class uh there were two x-class solar flares that shot off these massive cmes a couple days ago i didn't even know that yeah and they they both impacted earth but everything seems to be okay the northern lights went a little crazy but Mm -hmm. we're okay well, thank you, atmosphere, I guess, and timing. And uh, we, no matter what we do at this point, technologically, we are sort of in the hands of fate or accident. Uh, and that, to me, uh, and to you guys, too, I think is one of the most surprising, frightening, and, and a little bit exciting things about the world in which we live. The Tunguska event uh, has been explained pretty well by this point. Uh, however, other impact events in the future are a statistical certainty after, you know, after some amount of time, it's going to happen. Um, the only question is what will the magnitude be and what will our level of technology be? Will we all be on the same planet? There, there are some big questions that we would like to carry forward and answer. Um, but first, Joe, I have to say, uh, thank you so much for agreeing to come on our show. Uh, Joe would only come on if we agreed to, uh, do the, the chant to Ogdi, uh, who may or may not be I us. was just kidding about all that. I'd <laughs> love to come on and talk about all kinds of weird stuff with you guys. I think that we're... was a complete lie that I would only <laughs> talk about this. Oh, I, I don't know about you listeners, but I think I would like to have Joe back on again. That, this was a lot of fun. Uh, please write us and let us know. Uh, if you want us to do this again, because I'm down. Yeah, we uh, we always love to hear from you guys. As you know, our best ideas come from our audience. If you enjoyed listening to Joe McCormick as much as Matt and I have today, then do uh, go check out their podcast, Forward Thinking. Uh, this podcast covers all of the what, what would you say, Joe? Uh, well, I would say that we don't take quite as dark an approach as you guys sometimes. <laughs> We're typically focused on, uh, on cutting edge technology in the future. Mm-hmm. It's a podcast about science, technology in the future and, and what life's going to look like in 20, 50, 100 years. So are you saying the future is looking pretty bright? Um, I'm saying that contrary to the predominant mood these days, there's no necessary reason to be pessimistic about the future. You can go either way, and I think it's perfectly reasonable to not take a dystopian attitude. Absolutely. Yeah, because, uh, you know, we often hear about the bad stuff because that's what sells. Uh, 
but the truth is that there there are quite a few amazing innovations on the way um, in uh, laboratories across the world, R&D places across the world. I mean, heck, uh, if Ray Kurzweil turns out to be right, I'm not even going to say it. I know that gets under some people's skin there. Uh, but do check out Joe's show if you would like to uh, write to us or if you have a question for Joe. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. We have a website that I need to get back to updating. And uh, if you want to suggest a topic for us to cover in the future, either just Matt and myself or uh, the three amigos back in the studio again, we want to hear from you because all our best suggestions come from our listeners. Um, oh, I need to... Uh, what's our email address? Oh, yeah, you can email us. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this topic and other unexplained phenomena, visit TestTube.com slash Conspiracy Stuff. You can also get in touch on Twitter at the handle at Conspiracy Stuff. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.